0: Morning 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 to those of you watching online as well as we begin our sermon this morning. I want to do a quick shout out to Len Morrell, a brother in the Lord who I just said hello to. Uh, Best of luck to you, brother, Uh, running for state senate. Glad you're here with us, worshiping with your family. We are in our second message in this series, Send Me, and I want to start where that video started, which is the words of Jesus, Okay which says these words. Um, The first resurrection, or the first, the only resurrection, the first resurrection appearance of Jesus was um, John chapter 20, at least in that gospel. And this is what he says to his disciples. Think about it. It gets right to the point. He says, As the Father hath sent me, right, sent me into the world. I mean, I'm sure they're trying to make sense of all this. Someone just rose from the dead after you know three years of listening to him. Maybe now they're finally getting it. This guy is the Messiah. This guy is the son of God. But it certainly didn't happen overnight. He says, as the father hath sent me into the world, so I am sending you. Now those words that Jesus said to his disciples, they are, have become the mission of the church. Those words, very few words, they are not only the mission of the church, they're the heart of the New Testament, okay? That's the heart of the New Testament. And the purpose of this focused time that we're taking right now in the month of November, the Send Me Global Outreach experience, is to remind us, to challenge us, that this is the same mission that's been given to us. Not just us as in Browncroft Community Church, but every single person in this room or every person that... Has name's the name of Christ, okay? What I want to press on you today in the few minutes that I have is that every person, only you know this for yourself, but every person who's received Jesus as Savior, could be a kid, could be a student, could be young, old, it happened last month, last year, it happened 40 years ago, every single person who's received Jesus Christ as Savior, according to the Bible, is called to serve. You get a calling when you become a Christian. To join God. What does that mean? To join God in some way and it changes over time. In what he is doing in the world. Now some of us a percentage of us, small are going to be called to be what we call a, a, an overseas global missionary. We, we commissioned one here a month ago. Some of us. Not, not a majority of us very likely. But we are still, every single person who's a Christian, part of an overall network, whether you're working in C Hall, in the parking lot, with a local partner, working with a young kids, uh, discipling people, we are still part of a network that is bringing God's word to the world, or we're supposed to be. Okay, that's the point of this message, okay? Called to serve. You are called to serve. I am called to serve Ephesians chapter 4, we have a copy of the Bible. We're going to read some verses, just start with one verse this morning. One verse, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, the Apostle Paul. As a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Now leave that up there for a second. The Apostle Paul, who's he writing to? The church at Ephesus. Is he writing to the pastors? No. Is he writing to the clergy? No. Is he, does he even know the names of the people? Some he would because he started the church, but no. This is a general word to the people who are a member of this congregation. He doesn't need to know who they are because the call, as a prisoner of the Lord then, I urge you, okay? I love the fact that he uses the word urge because it says this, whatever you or I am as a follower of Jesus today but for me, it's been many, few decades. For you, it's been more or less of that. Wherever you are today has a lot to do with how you choose to respond. It's not a, it's not a cookie cutter kind of thing. Christianity is not compelling you to do something. It's urging you. And the apostle Paul is saying to this congregation, "I urge you to live a life worthy of the call that you have received." Everybody who becomes a Christian gets. A call. First point in this message, what I want you to do, I want you to answer the call, okay? And you do that over the course of your life. Answer the call, right? I'm amazed, uh, you know, in 17 years anyway uh, of being a pastor, how many people I talk to who never seem to know their own mind, okay, or have any kind of settled convictions about a call of God in their life I'm not talking about you know one thing I'm going to be a missionary one thing I'm going to do X I mean it's it's a series of saying yes but people who say to me I've been a Christian for a long time and I don't really know my own mind I, I don't really have a settled conviction at all about what God might be calling me to do today okay they say to themselves, well, listen, if, if, if some people would say this, if being a missionary, depends on if you grew up in church or not, if being a missionary, that is, you know, you, you go to a, a, a country overseas and, and share the gospel, start a church, if being a missionary is not my calling, then everything else is off the table. All right, that's what people think. Because I know I'm not called to do that. Everything else is off the table, which is, of course, not what the Bible teaches. But here's what is true for many of those people. Maybe you, at times, maybe me. They're not growing spiritually, okay? That's another thing that's true of people who who don't seem to know their own mind, don't have a settled conviction about what God's call is. about. They're not growing spiritually. They never really, it's been a long time, if ever, they've taken real risks in their faith, right? Done something they haven't done before, right? And they are mostly focused, ask yourself this question, this group of people, on what they're not getting from God or not getting from the church as opposed to whether or not they're serving the mission, okay? This is what God is not doing in my life. God is not showing up here. God is no longer showing up here. God is not doing this for me. God is not answering this for me. And the church is also not doing its job, okay? For the apostle Paul, he's urging them, okay, to live a life worthy of their calling. What does that mean? It's not that tough. It means accepting the challenge to live out your faith where you are today. So if I'm giving this sermon, I'm a year from now, it could be different. But what does it mean to be live a life worthy of your calling? Paul didn't know who he was talking to. There might have been people here that were very mature. They were immature. They just became a Christian yesterday. But it means it's a challenge to live out your Faith, wherever you are placed today. For the Apostle Paul, sometimes before you want to hear a message, you want to take the credibility of the person giving it. For the Apostle Paul, the place of the writing of this letter, you know where he was? In prison. As a prisoner, it's not metaphorical. He's not talking, you know, loosely. He's literally in a prison. And the guy who wrote a majority of the New Testament... Two different times that we know of spent time in a Roman prison. As a prisoner of the Lord, I write to you. He's not saying that. He's not, he mentions this many times in his book. Sometimes he says, thank you, you know, for my chains. It's a shorthand. But Paul isn't saying that to get your sympathy or my sympathy or these people's sympathy. He's simply trying to state a fact that he happens to be in prison. But more than that, right? Because if I said to you, you know, I'm writing from my kitchen and I'm writing you a letter, that's not really that important. Why would I bother saying that? He's not only saying a fact, but he's trying to make a very important theological truth. It's the one I want to point out to us today. Very important theological truth, which is this. Your limitations are not a problem for God, right? They are for you. Sometimes you take yourself out of the game. You say, "I'm not. I, I, I don't. I don't have it together right now. I'm not. I, I have, I'm in a bad situation right now. I'm. I'm. I, I'm. I don't have the right money. I don't have the right opportunities. I don't know enough." Your limitations are not a problem for God. Listen. It turns out we only know this retrospectively that the Apostle Paul did his best work. He probably was in this game being a minister for 35 years, give or take. He did his best work from a prison cell. We only are talking about him today. We don't know a lot about his reading schedule. We don't know a lot about his speaking schedule. All we know about is the letters that he wrote, 13 of them, from prison, most of them, or many of them. We were up here at this stage, uh, uh, this platform, I should say, uh, a month ago. We we commissioned a couple, missionary couple, uh, uh, Pat and Kristen uh, Kristen, um, Kiernan. Kristen grew up at this church, and uh, she went to college in upstate New York. She had a job here. She was doing everyday life here. She was involved in our family ministry, and then someone said to her, if you were here, uh, Karen Wood, who was working here at the time, said, hey, what do you think about going on a a short-term mission trip to um, uh, Senegal, West Africa. And she said, I was kind of taken aback. I hadn't thought about it. It wasn't really on my radar. It wasn't my list of things to do. And I had a normal reaction. She had never necessarily done that kind of thing before. Like, hmm, I don't know. I'm not so sure if that's for me. And she said, these words, Karen said to her, that changed her life. There is no safer place for you to be than in the center of God's will. The question isn't, is it a difficult place? Is it a hard place? Is where I am in life a difficult place or a hard place? The question is, there is no safer place for you to be, it's a theological truth, you have to believe this, it's it's an act of faith, than in the center of God's will. So Paul could say with winsomeness even, as a prisoner of the Lord, because he knew for him at this moment that being in prison was the safest place he could be. Be. What does it mean to live a life worthy of your calling? Let me unpack those words. Simple as this it's not allowing yourself to be distracted or defeated by smaller ambitions or a desire for a comfortable life. That's the thing that's standing in the way, right? Live a life worthy of your calling. I don't know exactly what it is. I can't imagine the leap of going to a, 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 a country on the other side of the world. That's not the question. It's simply being open to take the next step. It's not allowing yourself to be distracted from, from the call or defeated by smaller ambitions or a desire to live a comfortable life. Essentially, it's what I think it means. Thinking about, think about the Apostle Paul. If I had to boil it down, just looking at his life, but I could think of my own or, or others that I know. What does it mean to live a life worthy of? Uh, 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 Of the calling that God has given I don't think it means to live a a morally perfect life If it is we're all Can go home Right now I mean that's not what it means God wants us to live a, a, a good life But that's not what it means It doesn't mean to be successful Because a lot of people including the Apostle Paul Were not always successful What I think it means To live a life worthy of the calling That you have been given Is to not give up That's what I think it means fundamentally, whatever God has called you to do. You're a mom, you're a dad, you're a grandpa, you're a single dad, you're a single mom, you're working in uh, business, you're, you're a student, you're, you're a, a, a school teacher, you're, you're, you're an everyday uh, a person doing whatever it is that God has called you to do, and it's difficult sometimes to live out your faith. What Paul's saying is don't give up. His own testimony, near the very end of his life, probably within weeks or months of his final breath, 2 Timothy 4, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering. It's an Old Testament metaphor to talk about um, he's in hospice. Okay, <laughs> I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. My, and the time of my departure is near. He understood it. This is it. My days are numbered. Now watch this. I have fought the good fight. Now, that's a metaphor, but it's, it's chosen on purpose. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus in this world? Is you're in a fight of a kind, you know, people say to me, the world is so upside down in 2022. It's been that way for a very long time. I mean, some of you are just too young, I guess. I don't know. Listen, the world has always been upside down, Right? Paul did not win in everything that he did. You're not going to win in everything either. Paul was not successful in everything. He made mistakes. He had failures. But he fought a good fight. Now watch this. I have finished the race. Another metaphor. What does that mean? He finished the race. He's saying one thing. I didn't quit. That's all he's saying. Yes, I got knocked down. Yes, I made mistakes. Sometimes I made big mistakes. I got myself in trouble, sometimes for my own wrongdoing, sometimes because I chose to be a a follower of Jesus. But I'll tell you what, I'm about to take my last breath. I didn't quit. Okay, I didn't quit. I have kept the faith, which means nothing more than he says, to my dying breath, I'm going to confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life. Listen, God may send some people in this room. Send me. Some like Kristen uh, and Pat to a foreign country. Most of us, he's going to send you a lot closer to home, across the street, around the corner, down the hall, um, across um, the aisle, whatever the case may be. The question is, are you playing it safe? Are you making excuses? Or are you willing to answer the call that you're getting today? Okay? Okay. Second thing this passage tells us. One answer the call to, know and use your gifts. Okay, Know and use your gifts. Ephesians, let's read these a couple more verses. 7 and 8, 11 through 16. But to each of us, okay, to each of us, grace has been given as apportioned, as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says... When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Psalm 68, verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, in this case are people, the pastors and teachers, to equip his people, that's everyone in this room, for works of service, ministry, same word, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith, and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attending to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's Bible language saying, till we grow up and get mature and accomplish what is God wants us to accomplish. Then, now watch this. He's a realist. We will no longer be infants. We. He puts himself in there. Not many like Christians. He's talking about spiritual infants. Okay, It's not a compliment. Okay, yeah. Tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching. And by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming, instead speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, a mature body of Him who is the head, Jesus, of course, that is Christ. From Him, the whole body, joined together and held by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is one of the most important passages in all of the Bible on church, what the church, its life and purpose is all about. But let me show you what, what's being said here, okay? Very different. Three times he uses the, images, the the metaphor of a body. It's a metaphor. Paul really is the pioneer, primary person who uses it in the New Testament. It's a metaphor, you know? The head cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The eye cannot say to the ear. It's a metaphor. Works in, 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 in a certain way. Let me tell you, very different. It's very quite different from the pyramid, metaphor okay there's the pyramid maybe this works for it in corporate america maybe this works in every industry that there is That the person at the top who's who has most responsibility in a way they're the most responsible person they're the most important person and as you work your way down the pyramid people become less important okay understood it's common sense in the world that we live in it's not the bible it's not the bus mirror pyramid either Right? Someone's driving the bus or there's a series of bus drivers. They know where they're going. They're the ones at the wheel. Everyone else is just a passenger. Right? Daydreaming. The biblical model is a body, but the Apostles Paul's intention is not to teach us how the human body works. This isn't an anatomy lesson. It's teaching us how the church is supposed to grow. That's what he says. That's how he ends it. From this, the whole body, joined, held together by every ligament in supporting ligament grows. He's talking about how the church grows. That's what he's talking about. It grows as people engage in works of service, exercise their gifts together toward the fulfillment of the mission. Some of you know this, there are five gift lists. Okay, a little theological aside. In other words, what are my gifts? Is God, God gives out gifts. In fact, he says right in here, um, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Now, you could read that and go, what in the world is that? It's an Old Testament reference. If you want to look up the reference, it's um, Psalm 68, 18. And he, he's, he's taking one verse And he's using it, it's a a, a long poem, 68th Psalm, and he's using it as a shorthand to tell you about the whole thing. If I said to you this morning, you know, there's no place like home, where does that come from? Okay, say I love that, right? I mean, some of you would know that, right? That's a shorthand. All I gotta say is there's no place like home, and if you know that story, many of us do, cultural story, you can put the whole thing together. That's what Paul's doing here. But what he's really talking about, so these, these friends might know it if they knew their Old Testament, when he ascended on high, took many captives and gave gifts to his people. It's the last movement of a movement. It's a poetic psalm that talks about the history of Israel. This, let me just give it to you. He starts with the Exodus. Exodus. As he's trying to capture the imagination of people, the 68th Psalm, David perhaps. He's saying, listen, the Exodus is when Moses brought the people of God out in, this, in great glory, in, in a great deliverance. They came out. And then the next thing he talks about is the defeat of kings. And he talks about all the kings that were defeated in, 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 in Joshua. And then the last thing he talks about is David, who as the, as the ultimate king, the king after God's own heart, who... Who walked up Mount Zion with the uh, the tab or excuse me the, the the ark and placed it in Mount Zion to establish the king of Israel to establish the kingdom of Israel and says when he ascended on high speaking of David but in this historical poem he took many captives going back to the kings that were conquered in the in the Promised Land and he gave gifts to his people. He's saying David was one of the great kings in line with all the historical kings who they would accomplish these great victories. They would have the booty. They would have the captives. And they would go up and they would do something great. In this case, David goes up on Zion. He brings the ark. It's this beautiful moment recorded in the Old Testament. And he gave out gifts to the people of Israel. And he's saying what that was really pointing to was Jesus Christ, who didn't ascend the hill in Jerusalem. He ascended from Jerusalem earth to heaven and he gave gifts to people this is what it's all about and the whole church only works when every single person receives grace verse 7 to use that ministry and calling uh, in wherever God has called you today only when this happens the whole body is released will the disunity and immaturity in any church, including this one, be overcome. That's why he says, listen, we, don't want, we're, we're, we, we no longer want to be infants. Tossed to and fro. So distracted by small ambitions. So distracted by these, by these foolish things that we give our lives to. Listen, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's what God is calling you to do. Okay? About what God is calling me to do. One of the dangers of being in a large church, okay. I'm going to consider this a large church. One of the dangers of being in a large put church is a lot of people come for input, right? And that's something that's good. I want to be teach me something. I want to learn. I want to teach my kids something. I want. To, I want. To, I need some help. All of that's good. They come for input, but not all for output. As the Father hath sent me, I'm sending you, okay. There are no, according to the Bible, there are no unemployed people or there shouldn't be in the church. Ministry is not somebody else's job. Okay, that's what the Bible says. It's not somebody else's job for you and me to evaluate. It's your job. It's my job, right? And only together... Do we accomplish it? That's what he's trying to say. I have so many stories. Let me just give you one that illustrates this point so clearly for me. The year before I came here, 2004, seems like yesterday. I was 17, 18, whatever I was. No, but anyway, 2004. Right, Iacona? Right, okay. All right, so um, I went to Rwanda. It was a great uh, experience. It was 10 years after, if your memory serves, the Rwandan genocide. Some of you don't know this story. It's horrible. One of the worst things that, you know, just one of these horrible stories. A a civilian uprising, tribe X, tribe Y. Boom. In the summer of 1994. I mean, literally 100 days, 800,000 to a million people were killed. Okay? Or killed. Horrible, horrible, horrible. I went there 10 years after to do some pastors. 100 pastors, me and my group of friends. And we are there to teach pastors, right? And it was such an honor, such a a great experience to go there. And of course, I felt what God wanted me to do, wanted us to do, this little band of of friends, was to talk to them about biblical reconciliation. We're gonna come because we knew, our our leader, our, our partner told us, in this room of 100 men, there's gonna be people from tribe X and tribe Y. Great, we're ready to go. So we get up there, I thought about it, prayed about it, you know, did my homework, had my uh, 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 talks ready. And we're just doing a little open introduction, sort of day one of a four-day thing. I think it was a four-day mini-conference. And we're talking to these guys about this and that, and I'm I'm, I'm talking a little, sort of teasing what we're going to talk about. And one pastor gets up and he says, listen, pastor, thank you for that, you know, with the translator. He said, we really appreciate what you're saying, but he said, you know what, we've done all that work. Thank you so much, but in the last 10 years, there are people from Tribe X and Y in this room, but we've done all the work, we've, we've, we've reconciled, we're having this great um, sense of, of, of shared purpose. In other words, kind of like, that's all behind us. This was the little opening thing, and we took a break. I thought to myself, oh my gosh. What are we gonna do for the next four days? <laughs> this is what I had come to do. And the guy just got up and they all said amen. That we have done this work. We're ready. We what else you got? And I, I'm telling you it's one of those moments we all have is I just thought, I literally, for a moment anyway, I wanted to just get in the car and go to the airport and go home. Because I felt like a fool. I, I don't have anything. And one of the guys I brought on the short-term mission trip, who as far as I know had never been on a mission trip before, I just said to him, Come. He didn't even have an assignment. Of, of the four or five guys. He was a professional counselor, Christian counselor, but I said, just come with me. And he came, and I said, guys, they all looked at me like they knew it. And he said, he walked over to the window. And we were on the second floor of this hotel. He said, all right, listen, find any garbage can, whatever you can find these little garbage cans. Go fill them up with stones. It was a parking lot with stones in it. You know, it didn't have any uh, uh, asphalt. And he said, just bring them back in. We had 30 minutes for the next session, for the first session. I was like, I was so desperate I didn't even ask him when he was up. What I have to? <laughs> Usually I'd say, "What are you know? What's that about? Let's go." We come back. He goes, "Put one under every chair. Put one under every chair." And then I'm still do know what we're doing. He goes, "I'll take. Let me. Let me handle it." He gets up and he says, "Listen, guys. As if this was the plan." I said, I know in so many words, summarizing you know 45 minutes, I know, I know that you're pastors and you're leaders and it's tough being a pastor, it's tough being a leader. Being a church leader is a lonely job and many of you have issues in your life, maybe secret sins, maybe secret grudges, secret bitternesses, you have those, I know you have those and they, I have them too and they're gonna keep you from really being what God wants you to do. So I want you to pick up this stone it's the sermon in a nutshell and I want you to identify just between you and God and I want you to bring it up here to this little cross that was in this church and I want you to lay it down. It's an, the whole. It was a game changer. It was an absolute game changer. Listen, that is what the church is supposed to be. In your home, in your small group, in this church, it's about the body of Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up Listen carefully, as each part does its work. It's not a spectator sport. You're going to get happy. I'm going to get happy when you start serving. One minister said this. You want momentary happiness? Serve yourself. You want lasting fulfillment? This is a biblical truth, but it's a human truth. You want lasting fulfillment? Serve someone else this is what the church is supposed to be it's a body the eye cannot say to the hand I have no need of you the foot cannot say to the ear I have no need of you Right? it only works one way when we do it together that's when we the disunity goes down the immaturity goes down and the mission goes up here am I send me last point application Answer the call, no, and use your gifts. Start saying yes. That's the whole point. Start saying yes. I could give you a, a, a thousand stories or, 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 or dozens of stories, but let me just give you one. This Thursday night, f- four days ago, whatever it was, this past Thursday, one of the events in the Send Me uh, Global Outreach Experience was a, just a panel of missionaries, three or four or five missionaries, couples and uh, I was a young single woman. And th- I think the title of it was um, How They Came to Say Yes. Was that it, Alyssa? Something like that? How You Came to Say Yes. Okay? You know, and um, one woman, uh, Heather Bennett, I share this with her permission, but she, she shared this all on, on Thursday night. She said this, I'm going to forsake a time and read it. I grew up aware of missions, young lady. It was my desire from a young age to serve overseas. In 2020, I went on a short-term trip on the Logos Hope, that's a ship, when it was in Trinidad. I fell in love with the ministry and decided to apply and join the ship. It was gonna be a two-year commitment serving around the world. Listen, a huge step for someone who still lives at home with her parents. That's what she was at the time, okay? But God had a different plan because I take medicine for a health reason. I couldn't be guaranteed this medicine, so I couldn't become a a missionary on the ship. Door closed. They said, though, I could apply to work here in the U.S. So I decided to apply and signed up for a two-year commitment. Still a huge step, she said, for me. But then COVID started and everything shut down. Don't let your limitations stand in your way. They're not in God's way. God, uh, excuse me, they couldn't hire me, but they said I could come and be a volunteer. No pay for three months. Okay, it whittled down to that. But God took what would have been a huge leap at the time and made it a perfect, heather-sized step. And after volunteering for three... See, she said yes. He Oh, come on, I was going to be a missionary? Now I'm going to come for free? No thanks. After volunteering for three months, they were able to offer me a position. God had made it possible for me to live out my dream of being a missionary while still having access to the health care I need. I'm living my dream. Isn't that an amazing story? That's what I'm saying to you guys, right? You gotta say yes. Is what you say yes to today gonna have anything to do with what you're gonna do five and 20 years from now? Probably not, in the sense of, in in the character of the work. But it has everything to do with one thing leads to another. You gotta start saying yes. So how do you do that here? That's the point, by the way. What's the point of the Send Me Global Outreach Experience? To give you good information, to inspire you, we don't, we don't want to not do that. It's to put you in the position of joining and becoming an active part of the body. You can do that tonight, 5 o'clock. Little dinner. Listen to the bu- Maybe God's calling you to be involved in the next generation. Maybe God's calling you to go. Listen, we couldn't have made this easier. Go to the website. On the very top of our website, hit a button. I mean, anybody can do this here. I promise you. It's every all the information is there, and it says, I think it says next steps, and that says pray. There's no one in this room that couldn't do that. There's an opportunity to pray, to give. We talked about this uh, the last two Sundays. We have a project now. If you don't know this, you got to go back and listen to uh, last week's sermon and watch the video. A project for the. Wolof, uh, our, our, our friends in, in, in Senegal, West Africa, were trying to raise fifty thousand dollars, and Alyssa just told me with sixty-two yeses, I gave a second time this morning. Okay, joining the party here. Please join me. It's easy. It's thirty seconds. We're at about ten thousand dollars. Okay, it's only two week two. Okay, you can, and then you can go. There are opportunities. Come tonight. Come a week from Tuesday and here, and as, a, as a fair for our local missionaries. Just come here. It's easy. See what's going on. There's a family ministry experience. There's a short-term. I've never been on a short-term tri- trip. Both, after both services on the two weeks from today, you can just listen to what's going on. It's the point. Okay? Say, start saying yes. Amen? So this is what I want to do. We're done. I want to just take 45 seconds before we take this table together, share in communion together, okay? And I want you to think about taking the next step. And our model is Jesus. Mark 10, 45. Some of you know this verse. You know, Jesus said this. The Son of Man, the way he talks about himself, came not to be served. Right? Jesus didn't come to have his shoes shine for people to throw parades for him. Anyone deserved it, he did. But he said, that's not why I came, right? As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Why did he come? He didn't come for accolades. He didn't come to get his picture in the paper. I came to not to be served, but to serve. He's not only the giver of gifts, he's the model of how they're to be used, right? You want happiness? Serve yourself. You want momentary happiness? Serve yourself. You want lasting happiness? Serve other people. So think about, God, where are you calling me to start saying yes? 30 seconds, we'll take this together. On the night he was betrayed, go ahead and pull off the top tab. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread of the Passover meal. He, he tore it, handed it out to the disciples, and said, This is or represents my body, which will be broken for you. I came not to be served. But to serve. Let's eat together. When supper was ended, he took the cup and he passed it and he said, This cup represents the new covenant, okay, versus the old covenant. The new covenant in my blood which will be shed tomorrow on your behalf. I'm serving you for the forgiveness of sins. Let's drink together. God and Father, I just thank you for this hour. Thank you for this moment. And I pray, Lord, for every person in this room and listening to to this uh, sermon, this church service, Lord, that you would help us to hear these words afresh as if they were written today. I urge you, brothers and sisters, right, to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Help us, Lord, to know that's for us, every single one of us, wherever we are today. Help us not to allow our distractions or our desires for a comfortable life or our excuses about our difficulties which we all have to stand in the way help us to get to the end to say I fought a good fight I I finished the race Lord help us to know that serving ourselves is just it's so short lived momentary happiness, here today gone next week. But to serve others, to know the power of God in our lives, this is where we find true and lasting meaning and happiness in life. Help us, God, uh, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.